the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. My gosh, do I do all that? What a deal. I'm telling you, boy. (laughs) Good afternoon to you. Welcome. Great to have you on board. We are here, the post-Memorial Day edition of Lifeline. And on this Tuesday, the 29th of May, trust you're having a good week so far. We head into uh, day number two of the four-day work week. So it'll be over before you know it. Hopefully you had a wonderful time over the Memorial Day weekend with friends and family. We had some great weather. So, hey, we're going to use that as a great launching board to some great conversations this week. Coming up later on in tonight's broadcast, we'll be joined by constitutional lawyer, the founder and president of the Pacific Justice Institute, Brad Dacus. Brad will join us for a bit of an update on a teacher, a sociology professor, in fact, at Moreno Valley College in uh, Southern California that uh, got into a bit of a sticky wicket, he did, over expressed opinion and observation, which uh, these days it seems as if you're liberal, you can get away with saying just about anything. If you're conservative or Christian, though, uh-uh, watch out. Well, I guess Roseanne Barr is the one exception now, isn't it? But we'll leave that for another show. Any rate, we'll get an update on the status of Professor Eric Thompson and uh, his brush with the uh, liberalism police when uh, we get to that part of the conversation coming up a little later on in tonight's program. If you are a student of Scripture, you know that throughout both the Old and New Testament, there's a lot of imagery that surrounds water. Talk about lighthouses and safe harbors and certainly the parting of the Red Sea, the Sea of Galilee, tempest-tossed storms, and the notion of finding in the middle of those storms shelter in the very arms of God. Probably one of the uh, most notable water-based events of the um, the New Testament, certainly, is the experience of the Apostle Paul on his voyage to Rome, which I have to tell you, even a cursory glance at the biblical account will indicate that it was not a pleasure cruise. I mean, this was not like heading out for seven days on the Royal Caribbean, right? It was a rough ride. And yet in and through that experience, God used it to certainly shake Paul and get Paul's attention big time, but also to mold him and mature him in his faith and in his relationship with the Lord. And in many ways, the challenges that beset us in life, be they real shipwreck cases or others where the storms of life come about us, God can use those circumstances as well to mature us and to draw us closer to him. We talk about all of this inside the pages of a new book called Shake Free, How to Deal with the Storms, Shipwrecks, and Snakes in Your Life. And joining us today is the author of this new book, the pastor of New Season Church in Sacramento, president of the National Hispanic Christian Leadership Conference, Reverend Sam Rodriguez. And Pastor Sam, great to have you on the program. 
Thank you for having me. Some wonderful imagery that uh, not only you use inside of the book, but certainly that we extrapolate out of uh, the New Testament and the experience of Paul and his voyage to Rome, which, as I indicate, at the end of the day, turned out to be anything but a pleasure cruise. Indeed. Indeed, correct. It was a prison ship. He had a God-ordained assignment, Acts 23:11. Paul was on his way to Rome. He was on his way to Rome to share this wonderful gospel message to the most important community as it pertains to geopolitics at his time, which was Rome, of course, the most important city in the world, the, the center of the Roman Empire. And God gives him an assignment, you're on your way to Rome. He's on his way to Rome on a prison ship. He's, he goes through a nor'easter, a massive storm. They lower their anchors in the midst of the storm. And if you do the appropriate Greek exegete, because they were driven by fear, which we should never lower our anchors until we reach our destination, of course, they were battered. They experience a shipwreck, and, and then he arrives in Malta. He is soaking drenched. All of a sudden, they put a fire together, and a viper jumps out. I mean, what a story. We have a, a storm, a shipwreck, and a viper, and yet he shook it off. He shook it off, and subsequently he made it to Rome, and to a great degree, here we are, you and I, discussing Christianity today, because that journey was successful. So it, it speaks to a meta narrative of survival, of resilience, of making sure that our faith in Christ leads us and drives us along this journey we call life. And certainly a narrative that I think would cause the reader to pause and say, well, wait a minute, I, I can see some parallels in my own life. I think maybe I can relate to Paul. I mean, after all, Paul set out on God's business. It, it, it wasn't as if he was going out to, uh, you know, uh, go check out the hotels and do some sightseeing in Rome. He was en route uh, at the master's business, and yet along the way ran into all of these problems and challenges and beset and nearly had his, his life claimed by the seas. And I would wonder... Uh, Pastor Rodriguez, if there aren't a lot of folks that feel the same way, that say, gee, you know, I'm just going along in life. I'm going to work, caring for my family, doing the right thing, serving the Lord, and then suddenly all of these horrible storms come in. I've lost my job. My wife was diagnosed with cancer. My, one of my kids got arrested for uh, drug use. My goodness, I feel like I'm right there alongside Paul, shipwrecked and drowning. The, the prophet Isaiah states it clearly, and if we do the, the appropriate Hebrew exegete, it doesn't say if we go through difficult waters or fires, but when, it's actually when, the inevitability of going through storms and, and moments of great angst, of, of testing, it's part of this Christian journey, we, this Christian narrative, this pursuit of righteousness. So there's a false gospel out there that teaches people, if you're a Christian, you're never going to go through anything. You need to sign off from whatever message really brings about that skewed theological fallacy, because it's not accurate at all. As Christians, there is this dynamic of spirituality or spiritual warfare. There is darkness out there. But in the midst of it all, in the midst of it all, when Christ is the anchor and the hope of glory, there is this assurance that though we may suffer for this season, the greater glory is definitely forthcoming and cannot and will not be denied. Is part of the lesson here, too, a lesson, 
Pastor Sam, as to where we place our hope or our confidence. And I ask that question for a couple of reasons. For example, for anybody listening that has ever uh, been the occasional yachtsman or boater, maybe you've gotten on a small dinghy on a fishing trip and thought, my goodness, if this thing doesn't wind up sinking before we back to get back to shore, it'll be an absolute miracle, and you have a sense of fear and trepidation. Contrast that with maybe those of you that have had a chance to do some cruising, and you get on these huge luxury liners. You feel like you're lost in the middle of a hotel. It is as comfortable as you want it to be, and you have no sense that you're in the middle of the high seas whatsoever, and you feel certainly confident and comfortable and at ease. And I would wonder if maybe Paul first got on that ship and had a sense of confidence um, in not only the captain running the ship, but the crew and the vessel itself that would take him to his destination of Rome safely. And then suddenly the storms of life that uh, come to all of us, as you point out, is there maybe times when we put too much of our faith in the wrong thing and therefore the Lord needs to allow the, uh, the storm, so to speak, to come and shake things up so that we can refocus in whom we put our trust? To me, it's a movie script. It really is. It's just, it's just perfect for a movie script. There comes a moment where God speaks to Paul and says, Paul, by the way, I see what you're going through. Here's the news. Here's the update. The ship you're on, the ship will not make it. But you will. Wow. That's just, how in the world am I going to make it about the ship? Sometimes, as you stated so eloquently, we really place our trust on the ship, the delivery mechanism, the modus operandi, whatever it may be that we really believe will take us to our place of destiny. And all of a sudden, we suffer a shipwreck. Maybe that there's an issue in the family, something with our children, a health-related issue, a financial issue. That job security that we really thought was there in perpetuity, it's gone. What happens next? Even without that ship, you're still going to make it. As long as Christ is the captain of your ship, of your life, as long as Christ is your anchor, I assure you, you're going to make it. What this book does is it instructs you through Scripture, of course, to really embrace the reality that if Christ is the hope of glory, there is a biblical prescription, an antidote, to shaking off the vipers and the snakes, to overcoming shipwrecks and surviving storms, as long as Christ is the captain of your ship and the anchor of your destiny. So at the end of the day, then, it really becomes a matter of um, where you have placed your hope, where you've placed your faith, your confidence. Are you more confident in the ship? than he who is the captain of your life. And maybe it's, it's good um, introspection for all of us to ponder the question, we know in whom we've believed, and we are persuaded, but are we investing our confidence? Are we anchoring our life in the one that's at the helm of our life? And who is that? Jesus Christ? Or are we putting entirely too much confidence? Are we betting too much on the ship? I would suspect for a lot of us, and it's probably very part of human nature, we, we bet a lot on the ship, but not a lot on the captain that should be in charge of our life. When we come back, as we continue our conversation today with Reverend Sam Rodriguez and his new book, Shake Free, How to Deal with the Storms, Shipwrecks, and Snakes in Your Life, what about those of us that just want to make sure there's a plan B in place. We'll feel a lot better getting through this trial and tribulation, whatever the storm has brought us in life, so long as we know that there's a plan B. We'll talk about that and more as our conversation with Dr. Sam Rodriguez continues right after this. Michael, what's up? And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. 
Back to our conversation. Reverend Sam Rodriguez with us today. He, of course, is a senior pastor at New Season Church in Sacramento, serves as president of the National Hispanic Christian Leadership Conference, and the author of a number of best-selling books. His latest, Shake Free, How to Deal with the Storms, Shipwrecks, and Snakes in Your Life, newly published by Waterbook Press. Uh, Plan B. It's easy sometimes when you go through a challenge in life. Um, one of those big storms, and we will pray. We will certainly give lip service to reliance upon the Lord, but sometimes it makes it a lot easier if we have a plan B. For example, the, the person, and I'll, I'll use this as a slice of my own personal experience, who's been diagnosed with cancer and says, well, I'm trusting God to heal me, but their plan B is they're really counting on the doctors and the doctor's ability. Was there any kind of a plan B in place for Paul in the middle of this shipwreck? There's a shipwreck, there's a storm. At the end of the process, of course, the ship being battered, there are a number of individuals that hear Paul's word. Paul tells the ladies and gentlemen, God gave you the word, we're going to survive this thing, but the ship will not. Those that were listening in, according to Scripture, Acts chapter 27, there were some that took it upon themselves and said, wait a second, we have some lifeboats here. Let's let's uh, let's put these lifeboats out there just in case this thing doesn't work. Paul looks at this and says the following: Hold on a moment. You see these lifeboats that you're right now engaged with. You you must let them drift away. Now, what an outrageous declaration to a great degree if you superficially hear it. The apostle Paul saying, "Wait a second. You're going to let the these lifeboats drift away. We're going to hear this. In essence, you're going to believe God for His word." You can believe God for everything or believe Him for nothing at all. You can't really have a plan B in Christ. You either believe Him or you do not. Faith is trusting God when life makes no sense. But not rhetorically, not just with your words, not just, you know, superficially, not for the purpose of trying to convince yourself you trust God, but do you really trust God completely? with your circumstance. And that's what Paul did. Paul, in essence, is saying, let go of plan B. The moment you let go of plan B, you convey a message to heaven that you trust him for his plan. And his plan is A to Z. Your A to Z plan is the will and the purpose of Christ in you. One of the other issues here, and I think sometimes we we kind of go to this as the default to deal with the emotional outcome of these kinds of storms that come on in life, and that is to try and and assign blame of some sort, whether we say that uh, maybe uh, we're being punished for past sins, the things of, of the mistakes of our past are catching up with us, things of this sort. But you assert in the book an entirely different take on this, that as we see the enemy coming in, and, and bringing about havoc in our lives, that rather than taking the approach that this is somehow maybe, you know, punishment for past sins, it really is the enemy trying to discourage us from, as you suggest, and certainly was the case in, in the matter of Paul, um, the enemy attempting to bring great discouragement and distraction, focusing on things of the future. Elaborate on that. Yeah, as a matter of fact, you can measure the magnitude of your upcoming assignment in Christ, of your, of your upcoming season in Christ, according to the size of your current tribulation. So let me explain. If you are going through something, Paul went through a shipwreck, a storm, snakes. Why? He had a God-given assignment to take the gospel to Rome. My point is, 
we only go through things in our Christian walk if we really do have great destiny before us. The purpose of God is great. The greater that purpose, by the way, we need to be very forthcoming with this, the greater the amount of spiritual warfare. And I'm not talking about some weird items that are skewed outside of our, our, our biblical worldview, but there is a spiritual warfare. There, there are principalities, powers of darkness, there is a devil, there is darkness, there is sin, and the enemy doesn't want you to reach your Rome. All of us have a Rome. Each and every one of us have a place of destiny, a God-ordained assignment, 1 Corinthians 7, 17. We each have an assignment. We have a purpose. The question is whether or not we acknowledge that what we go through is a process, and the greater the battle, the greater the destiny. And that's how we have to measure things. Paul had an amazing assignment, and he went through one difficult journey to reach that assignment. And, of course, getting through the difficult journey, reaching that assignment, came with pretty huge rewards, didn't it? The, the reward you and I are discussing right now, Jesus and Christianity and our Judeo-Christian value system, to a great degree, because Paul made it to Rome. And the message, of course, impacted the Gentiles and around the world, and here we are. So, yes, what, what reward indeed? Uh, that's an understatement, the word reward. So he made it to Rome. The gospel was preached, uh, and, and many came to the acknowledgement of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. At the end of the day, that's what life is truly about. You know, I, I learned through my storm and through my shipwreck that instead of waking up every morning asking God for blessings, I wake up every morning asking God to make me a blessing. Instead of waking up every morning asking God to answer my prayers, I ask God to make me the answer to someone else's prayer. I want my life mission in my Rome to be one of continuously, continuously, through my testimony, through compassion, through biblical truth, through sharing the love of Christ, I want my testimony to prompt in my Rome many to come to the knowledge of Christ as Lord and Savior. So it then becomes, Pastor Sam, a much bigger perspective, a much bigger picture here, because a lot of us, I think, and, and most naturally in the flesh, when we find ourselves in the middle of that that storm, that tempest, we just want it to be over with. We just want to get through this, come out the other side, a survivor, and move on with life. Or maybe if we've got our sights set a little bit higher, we're hoping that the Lord will do something uh, in our lives through it, that through the brokenness there'll be a sense of breakthrough. But a lot of it tends to be focused on how we get through it, how we survive, how we feel after the experience is over with. What you're suggesting is something much bigger and certainly much higher on God's agenda, and that is not just getting us through it, for our own sense of self-satisfaction and our relationship with him, but then being able to use that life experience and that story to touch and impact other lives for the sake of the kingdom. All of us have to go through to get to. Each and every one of us have to go through to get to. Throughout Scripture, all of these iconic figures, they went through to get to. But that process in itself, that going through process, when we get out of that process, when we come out of it, the process is temporary, but the promise is permanent. The moment we get to, it behooves us to understand that there's a reason why God saw us through, and it is for what? The glorification, the magnification, the exaltation of His name. Your testimony is your greatest legacy. 
Your life journey testimony is your greatest legacy. In the book of Joshua, chapter 4, they build memorials, an altar, one in the middle of the Jordan and one where they camped out on the other side in the Palestine at Gilgal. They build an altar for their children and their children's children to ask questions. What happened here? The greatest legacy we can give our children and our children's children is a viable testimony of, look what the Lord has done. And if you never would have been through what you went through, you would not have a testimony to share. So praise God for the testimony. It's difficult to do it when you're in the midst of it. But once you come out of it, even in the midst of it, I dare you, I challenge you to give God glory and give Him praise, because that testimony will enrich and help those that follow you likewise come to the knowledge of Christ. And how ironic it is if we think, for example, of the the so-called Hall of Faith that is apparent in the book of Hebrews, and we look at all of those individuals um, of great faith, and we think to ourselves, wow, what an impact they had and how significant their lives were, and yet we need to also full circle uh, the entire picture here, recognize what they went through to get to that station in life, to obtain uh, that spot, so to speak, in the great hall of faith, and what that means in the bigger picture in terms of God's big plan for our lives, not just to allow us to go through trials and to experience spiritual growth, but then to be able to use that spiritual growth in our own lives to in turn be a blessing on other lives. Visiting today with Pastor Sam Rodriguez, his new book is called Shake Free, How to Deal with the Storms, Shipwrecks, and Snakes in Your Life. The new book, by the way, only published by Waterbrook Press. You'll find it at bookstores throughout the Bay Area, as well as through Usual Suspects, Amazon.com, and also you can get it through WaterbrookMultnomah.com. We'll take a time out. When we come back, more of our conversation today, Pastor Sam Rodriguez, Senior Pastor of New Seasons Church, as Lifeline continues right after this. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. I mentioned again that uh, Pastor Sam Rodriguez's new book called Shake Free, newly published by uh, Waterbrook, available bookstores throughout the Bay Area as well as through Amazon.com. Pastor Sam, I want to turn a corner because there is a tie-in to the subject of your book and a challenge that's being faced by, uh, well, quite frankly, the majority population of this state, and that is the turmoil, the storm that so many Latinos in our country find themselves in today. You serve, in addition to your role as a senior pastor of New Season Church in Sacramento, you're also the president of the National Hispanic Christian Leadership Conference. And I just want to get your thoughts on this topic, because I, I, I have to wonder, with so much rhetoric going back and forth and the political football that has become the lives of so many people here in the United States, and I'm wondering, because a lot of the rhetoric is coming from the evangelical camp, those identify themselves as conservative Christians, given some of all of the rhetoric surrounding the debate over immigration, are conservative Christians, with some of the comments, reaching or perhaps doing more to repel the Latino population with all the commentary? Oh. It's, it's both worlds. Some segments of what, for lack of a better phrase, the white evangelical conservative community, some like the Jack Grahams, like the Ronnie Floyds, like the Jensen Franklins, are not only engaging Latino evangelicals, but winning them over to such a degree, to such a point, by the way, that Latino evangelicals, 29.7, 30% of Latinos 
voted for Donald J. Trump. This is critical to understand. More than Mitt Romney, by the way, which was 27%. Out of the 29.7 or 30% of Latinos that have supported Donald Trump, 66% self-identified as Latino evangelicals or Hispanic evangelicals. It's the first time in American history that the Hispanic evangelical community represented the majority of a voting block or demographic. But that being said, it's because of the Ronnie Floyd and the Jack Rams and the Jensen Franklins of the world. It's because of that affirming uh, commitment of we understand you are a blessing to America and you're not a burden. We understand that Latinos are converting to Jesus more than any other demographic, more than white, African-Americans or Asians. Latinos are accepting Christ as Lord and Savior. So to, to a great degree, if you do your math with the Southern Baptist, the Assemblies of God, the independent movement, the fastest-growing evangelical demographic in America is Latino. The future of American Christianity, Bible-believing, biblical Orthodox Christianity, the future is the Latino community. So in that aspect, there is something positive. On the other side, there is rhetoric, and by other side I mean there are extremists that, that wake up in the morning, and they see themselves, even, even conservative evangelicals, through the lens of a political ideology. Now, I have stated on a number of occasions, written about it, wrote a book about it, I stated, even in the National Day of Prayer a few weeks ago on, on the Capitol in Statutory Hall, my statement was the following. I, this nation is divided by those that follow the donkey and those that follow the elephant. And respectfully, the donkey never died for me, and the elephant never resurrected for me. I am committed to the agenda of the Lamb, who is also the Lion of the tribe of Judah. So, as Christians, our number one commitment should be the centrality of Christ, biblical truth, righteousness and justice in the name of Jesus. As it pertains to immigration and Latinos, we have to be careful as Christians in not drinking the proverbial Kool-Aid of rhetoric that may end up building a wall, not a physical one, but one that will alienate Latino Christians from coming together in the defense of the sanctity of life, of religious liberty, and other issues that impact all of us. Well, and see, that that's, goes to the heart of this matter, because so often people like to pile on. We talk about economic challenges in the country, and there's often implications that, you know, almost in a scapegoating fashion, that all of those economic challenges that our nation faces are somehow laid squarely at the foot of illegal immigrants, and yet we never pause for a moment and recognize the spiritual implications behind U.S. immigration policy, nor the kind of picture that we paint of ourselves and ultimately of Christ. The one thing that I've never stood understood is the the position that some of my brethren will take where they will say, well, we have no problem sending food and medicine. We have no problem building houses or digging wells, planting churches in third world countries or south of the border. We just don't want the people from there trying to escape the bad circumstances coming here. And I've never understood how we can somehow justify that position when ironically, most of the people that will cite that kind of viewpoint are the same people who a century ago had their families facing the same sort of challenges. And I'm talking about Italians like myself, or Irish, or Poles, or Germans, certainly post-World War I, that came here to this country escaping horrible circumstances in their own nation, simply wishing to find a better future for their family. 
And instead of lauding them for being people that are putting their family first, we chastise them and wish to somehow blame all of our problems on them. And I find it so ironic that, again, most of the rhetoric today is coming from the very same people that a century ago would have been the target of the very same rhetoric. Yeah, and, and our, you know, the funny thing is, ironically enough, the argument is, but our forefathers came here legally, and these individuals are coming here illegally. Let me explain to you what legally meant back in 1875, 1892, and 1904. Legally meant getting on a steam liner, arriving in New York City to Ellis Island. You can give whatever name you want, no need of an ID. And right there, all you have to prove, even if you had tuberculosis or some other infirmity, that would be the only thing that may possibly hold you away, and they even had quarantine quarters for you to recover from these diseases. So it wasn't like you went through a rigorous vetting process. All you had to do was survive the trip across the pond and make it there. There was no computer database, no terrorist checklist, nothing. So this idea of they came in here legally, it's, it's I mean, respectfully, you have individuals who, have, who are coming here legally now, by the way, and the visa process takes 13 to 15 years, and then the government tells them you can't stay here. There's no compelling reason. Oh, by the way, we know your kids were born here. They don't speak Spanish. They were educated in our schools. But now you're going to have to go back to Mexico with these kids who are Americans, or you're going to have to let the family be separated. We have a really broken system. It's broken. And we do want people to come here legally. I'm, I'm in favor of legal immigration. I'm not in favor of illegal. We are a sovereign nation. We have a right to protect our borders. But, man, we, we can be both convicted to protecting our border security and protecting our most dearest of values, which includes compassion. And we've always been a nation of immigrants. And, by the way, what, what are we afraid of? Let me explain to you who's migrated to America, from to Latin America. Individuals who believe in God, who believe in God. And, by the way, not only any God, they believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Individuals who are hardworking. So 12, 14-hour workdays, and individuals who believe in family. My goodness, these values are so anti-American. God, hard work, and family. How dare we embrace them? I'm being facetious, of course, a little bit sarcastic. My point is, we really have to have a comprehensive, holistic, biblical outlook as it pertains to a community that if we deport all of them, listen carefully, we may be deporting the future of American Christianity. Well, not only that, but then there's the point, too, when people tend to want to point to illegal immigration and say, well, look at the billions of dollars in tax money that's being spent to educate, to clothe, to feed, to house, all of that. People are recipients of welfare, so on and so forth, which largely, by the way, is very inaccurate. We also hear the same group of people that never say anything to talk about, for example, curbing the job-grabbing HB1 visa worker program, where big corporations can invite workers coming in from other countries, give them residency, give them jobs. They're not coming here to pick your lettuce and to change the sheets on your bed at the hotel. They're coming here to take the eighty and ninety and hundred thousand dollar a year jobs that your children could be taking, and instead they're taking those jobs. Not to mention the EB-5 green card sale program that's been going on in this country for more than a decade now, where all you have to do is come here and invest five hundred thousand dollars in cash, and you get immediate permanent residency, and yet they never talk about disbanding either of those programs. And the one concern that I've had looming, not only as a Californian, 
and as a Christian, but also as the grandson of immigrants that came from one of those undesirable countries a century ago, uh, that we're making promises and then we're breaking promises. And the picture that we are painting, particularly as we identify as evangelicals and Christians and conservatives, is not a group of people that are compassionate and understanding. We love to hide behind the so-called rule of law, and yet our sense of compassion and understanding seems to be extremely weak. And I think, and my fear is, that at the end of the day, if we don't curb some of the rhetoric, the damage that we can do for the cause of Christ could be irreparable. That is completely correct. At the end of the day, this rhetoric that emerges primarily out of a political myopic worldview, not a pathetic, but political, may very, may very well build an impermeable wall separating communities with and Christendom with great negative outcomes for generations to come. It behooves us to really have a redemptive component as it pertains to our declarations regarding immigration. Let's not politicize it. We should never separate families. It's morally reprehensible. It is just wrong. And we should look at every single immigrant as a child of God, created in the image of God. So, I mean, we're compelled to do these things, hopefully and prayerfully. They attend our churches. They are so hardworking. Again, we want people to come here legally, but we can't drink the Kool-Aid on the rhetoric. As conservatives, as evangelicals, we need to have a redemptive outreach towards each individuals who may very well end up saving Christians in America, the Lord carries. And I think then, too, the notion of trying to hide behind the so-called rule of law, because I've heard this uh, cited. We say, well, you know, yes, it's true, and we realize that they're not all uh, criminals and evil people, that some are coming simply to uh, to find a better uh, way for themselves and their families. But they did break the law, after all, to which I would say, well, if that's your opinion and the justification for breaking up families and sending people back with no thought given whatsoever to maybe children that were born here whose parents brought them here um, and that the parents came here or maybe they were brought here as young children in the case of the dreamers and and those in the daca program that would go back to a country that they've never been to ever have no connections with whatsoever that we can readily do that and stand behind the rule of law then here's the question i would pose how do you deal with the rule of law that says that abortion is legal in america say well it's horrible it's reprehensible it's against uh, what we know of God's value placed on very life itself in Scripture. Yes, but it's the law. So, you know, you can't have your cake and eat it, too. I think we need to be very cautious in terms of the potential demonstrable, or demonstrative, rather, damage that we can do to the cause of Christ and, as Pastor Sam Rodriguez points out, to the future of Christianity in America if we aren't a little bit more compassion and a little bit cautious as to what kind of rhetoric we are so apt to repeat. Pastor Sam, I'd love to deal, uh, dive into this topic a little bit deeper with you another time when we have an opportunity. Likewise, my friend. Thank you so much for your, your graceful space you've provided here. And again, I look forward to a conversation forthcoming. Indeed. All right. There is Pastor Sam Rodriguez, and he, again, is the president of the National Hispanic Christian Leadership Conference and the author of a new book called Shake Free, How to Deal with the Storms, Shipwrecks, and Snakes in Your Life, newly published by Water Book Press. You'll find it at bookstores throughout the Bay Area. Get it through Amazon.com, as well as uh, certainly through WaterbrookMultnomah.com. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm just here on the KFAX website trying to find information about an event we have coming up, and I want to say that it's in the, uh, the month of June. I think it's the 12th at Abundant Life Christian Fellowship, but it's not on our website. Uh, the reason why I mention it is because uh, this topic of racism, uh, we kind of touched on it in terms of the impact on the Latino community. We're going to be talking about it in the broader sense, particularly as it affects the African-American community. Coming up, I believe, but don't quote me, on the 12th of June at Abundant Life Christian Fellowship in Mountain View. I can't find the information on our website. And being an old guy, I forgot the exact date. So uh, we'll watch this space for more details, and we'll tell you more about that. All right, let's tell you more about what's going on in the case of freedom of speech and ideas and thoughts here in the state of California, specifically at Moreno Valley College. Let's get a look at this story. We're joined by the founder and president of the Pacific Justice Institute, Brad Dacus, and Counselor, as always, great to have you with us. Uh, this apparently stems from some classroom discussion that was had by uh, Professor Eric Thompson uh, at the point at which the the United States Supreme Court was engaged in the uh, the marriage debate. So this goes back uh, some time. And I understand that um, he didn't quite toe the party line. What happened? Yeah, he's a sociology professor, tenured. Uh, teaching for 11 years, and he, as a sociology professor, thought that it would be prudent to discuss same-sex marriage, considering it was something that the Supreme Court was literally in the process of taking up. And and uh, and, and you debate. think of all places that they would discuss in marriage would be in a sociology class. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So it, it's 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 the place if you're going to have that kind of discussion, it would be right there in a sociology class. Well, you know, he wasn't dogmatic, saying this is the way or that's the way. He was, uh, you know, asking questions and asking stimulating thoughts, stimulating debate, stimulating discussion. Well, the end resolve of this uh, junior college in Riverside County was that, no, no, this is one thing that there is only one way of thinking, only one perspective, and debate and discussion is not allowed uh, in, in, in any way, shape, or form. There is only one, one way of, uh, of, of, view, of viewing this. Uh, irrespective of, of different beliefs or perspectives. And, of course, that is a stifling of the free exchange of, uh, of ideas in the open marketplace of ideas. And, uh, and he has uh, gone through a terrible situation and then was fired uh, from his job, even though he's done a, had a stellar record as a professor. Well, but let me ask you a question, though. I thought that's what we as Americans and reasonable people and educated people do, that we, we have the give and take, we have the debate, we have the discussions. I mean, they, they've devoted th- tens of thousands of hundreds of thousands of hours to all of that on C-SPAN coming from the halls of Congress. So why are we not allowed in a setting, again, not to present necessarily with a, a dogmatic position or uh, to, to state your opinion as fact and try to present it that way uh, to a classroom of children, but at least to get the dialogue going and, and, and allow free exchange of ideas, and then let people come to their own conclusion. Right. What you just talked about was the way American universities and colleges were meant to be and, and used to be, uh, but now, um, you know, unfortunately, this is not an isolated incident. We're seeing reports like this uh, throughout the country, and particularly in public universities, uh, where uh, professors are being told, no, don't stimulate discussion, thoughts, and ideas. Uh, dictate, indoctrinate, and uh, make sure and intimidate. And, make and, sure and they everyone... fired him on this basis? 
But yeah, that was why he was he was fired on that basis. Wow. And it was outrageous. Well, he contacted us at the Pacific Justice Institute, Craig, and needless to say, we have been representing him now for uh, a number of months, and we've uh, had uh, just finished a three a three week um, uh, hearing uh, that uh, you know that is hopefully going to uh, to be resolved. We had lots of evidence we had to to bring in and. Uh, it was. Uh, it's been a lot of work, but we're going to stand by this man, stand by this professor, um, all the way to the end, uh, wherever that may be, uh, on an appeals court or otherwise, uh, until we have uh, full justice. You know, it's interesting. Today in the afternoon, in fact, maybe it's even going on right now, I don't know, but Starbucks across the country closed down in order to engage in sensitivity training classes uh, to encourage the employees and baristas to better understand what they can and cannot and should not be doing uh, in the stores. And we, we all know the, the infamous case that uh, that led up to this. I'm wondering, maybe we need to have a day of, uh, what do they call them, an in-service day for the teachers at uh, public classrooms, universities across the state of California to remind them about the values of that little old piece of paper called the Bill of Rights Association with something called uh, the Constitution of the United States. <laughs> exactly. I, I, you know, it is alarming on how many of how many in academia, academia do not appreciate the freedom of speech and uh, the free exchange of ideas. Uh, you know, in the First Amendment of the Constitution. And, and the, the irony is that you would think of all places to have this discussion, this debate, would be in a sociology class. Right. That is. That is where it is, is to be, and it was so timely. Uh, it was so timely. It was right in the middle of the, the peak of the debate and the discussions uh, dealing with the issue. So we at Pacific Justice are, are defending him, and we've defended, we're defending another professor in a similar situation, and we're willing to go to bat for professors all across the United States without charge as needed to ensure that universities do not completely close down with regards to uh, healthy teaching and instruction, which, which encourages critical thinking and discussion, uh, not oppressing thinking, critical thinking. Yeah, so, so, such an irony. And, and by the way, to uh, parents listening right now that maybe you're shelling out good money to send your son or daughter to a uh, public university or um, college, for that matter, uh, you, you, you thought you were paying your kids to go to school to learn how to think. Oh, no. <laughs> Apparently the agenda is don't teach them how to think. Just teach them what to think. But just skip over that thing. Just go right down to the philosophy at all. Amazing. Well, we appreciate the, uh, the update on uh, the status of the case of Eric Thompson. And uh, do keep us posted as this progresses. Uh, talk about progress. Ha! This is not progress. Sending the country back 270 years. Amazing. All right. There is Brad Dacus, constitutional lawyer, the founder and president of the Pacific Justice Institute. More information about their good work online at uh, pacificjustice.org. That's pacificjustice.org. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.